Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Songwriters on Process podcast. My name is Benno Papari, and since 2010, I've run the Songwriters on Process website, where you can find more than 200 conversations with songwriters about the creative process. I'm not here to talk about tour stories, band drama, how a band got its name, or favorite foods. My goal is to treat songwriters as writers, plain and simple. This is an intelligent conversation about the writing process between two writers. And today's interview is with Anand Wilder. Anand, as you probably know, was in the band Yay Sayer, and that band broke up in 2019. And so he has just put out his first new solo album called I Don't Know My Words. I've listened to it a few times. It is fantastic. But this was uh, a highly, highly entertaining interview. Uh, Anand is a great storyteller. And there are some stories in here that don't have anything to do with songwriting, but I had to keep him in because... Uh, he's just so much fun to listen to when he tells these stories. But regarding that songwriting process, a few things stood out to me. He is a heavy journaler. And that's something I hear, or I, I will say I don't hear from many men. I hear it from a lot of women. But not many men, male songwriters, have told me that they journal and use journaling as an active part of their creative process. Uh, so he does that. He's also a heavy texter. Uh, but, but, well, I guess who isn't? But he sends, he will write these deep, involved, thoughtful texts. He won't send them, but then he goes back and looks through them for song ideas. Uh, he writes from 11 to 5. Now, that's 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. Uh, as a family man with a wife and, and children, I'm not sure how he's able to do that, but he finds that to be, well, it's certainly the quietest part of the day, but he finds that to be the most productive as well. And here's also something I found very interesting, the, the two keys to his songwriting process, weed and wind sprints. Now, he's not doing them at the same time, but let's talk about the wind sprints first. He has started doing wind sprints, uh, and he finds that wind sprints or sprinting, running, is a great source or a great aid to his, create, to his uh, creative process. He finds that after he exercises, that's a fruitful time for songwriting, and I've heard that from many songwriters, and I've written about that in uh, the Washington Post, the link between exercise and creativity. So he uses that. And also smoking weed. Now, he doesn't do those two things together, of course. That would be really hard to do. But he finds weed, uh, smoking marijuana, to be a source of a very uh, good source of uh, creativity as well. And many songwriters, actually, let me stop myself. Not many songwriters have told me that, but I'm sure that they do that. Um, few have been as open as he is uh, as far as using uh, smoking marijuana as a source of creativity. But he says, and I'll quote him directly, smoking weed is not something I do to be euphoric. It's something I do to think differently. It gets me to a different radio signal. And um, so <laughs> this is what he said. He said, uh, my songs start by smoking weed and getting emotional so that I get so high that I can't do anything but write or else I will freak out. Uh, and you will also, I don't think I mentioned this, but in this interview, you get impressions of three of the four Beatles, George, Paul, and John. I don't think we get Ringo in here, but, uh, and Paul Simon, Paul Simon impression also as well. And I will leave you with this quote from him. 
He says, if I have anything unique to give to the world as, as a songwriter, I'm trying to explore the middle ground. That's not the most effective for songwriting because the most provocative things are clear statements of good and evil. So anyway, uh, again, his new, Anand Wilder's new solo album, or first solo album, is called I Don't Know My Words. This is a uh, the uh, video version of this will also be on the Songwriters on Process YouTube channel. So check that out. But uh, for now, listen to my interview with Anand Wilder. Yeah, yeah. So let's start. I, I did read an interview recently. I forgot where it was about journaling, um, that the fact that you journal. And I do find yeah. that songwriters fall into a couple of camps. Those that journal and love to do it those that don't, but wish they do. And then those that don't, but have no desire to ever start. But it sounds like you're a pretty active journaler. Is that right? I am. I, I journal quite a bit. It's usually like when I'm, if I'm, if I get in a fight with someone, you know, and then I, I'm like thinking about something over and over and over again. I'm like, no, just, if you just write it down, it kind of gets those thoughts out of your head. And then some, maybe then you go back to it and maybe see like a little rhyme in there or just a, just a phrase um, I think one, one, one line in another song of mine, I wrote this song called heart Island. That's like sort of from the perspective of a inmate at Rikers Island. And then I, and I was looking back at my notes and I, and I was, and I had something about not being frustrated about my, our like a case against the weekend. <laughs> I was like, I'm not frustrated by the case anymore. And I was like, Oh, that's a good line for this song just pop, popped it in there and mate took it, you know, so you just take some things that are from reality, some things that are, and it combines with your imagination um, where it's convenient, you know, but is it a deliberate, are you journaling it? I guess is it something, and this, well, I guess a two part question, do you write every day? Is it important? I guess, let me ask you that. Is that important to write every day? I would like to write every day. Um, and I, I guess I am writing every day. Cause I'm, I, I'm, I'm a big texter. So I get out a lot of thoughts by communicating with friends. So like yesterday, um, someone was writing, someone had sent me this like Stephen Sondheim podcast. And then I was like, I waited a little while and then I was sending, and I wrote back this really long message about Stephen Sondheim and how he's kind of like a white rapper or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started writing a, a poem about coffee um, in this, in the style of Stephen Sondheim in the text, in the text. And I never sent the text. I just copied and pasted it into my notes and started writing a song about coffee. <laughs> Fascinating. I love that. So and I was, I was high also. <laughs> that, that also helps. I'm sure that helps. It really helps. Like, you know, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't smoke any marijuana the entire pandemic. And so a lot of people were like, oh, so, so that's how you execute how that's how you finish an album. I was like, yes, but a lot of the songs started as, you know, smoking some weed, getting feeling very emotional, getting so that I was so high that I can't do anything except write or else I'm going to freak out, you know? Yeah. Interesting. And so I'll smoke and then suddenly just, I need to find pen and paper and just need to write and just be four pages about you know my vasectomy or something like that so so do you so smoking a way to get that process started i guess that is that a deliberate part of the of the process sometimes it's just out of boredom yeah you know and just something to do and then you realize oh shit this is this is real this is a drug that varies a very strong drug for me and alters the brain and then i just you have to do it it's not like i before i 
before I start puffing, I have it all set up or something. Yeah. I should so that I'm not like frantically right, frantic, looking right. around for my journal or whatever. But you'll find so, I'll say I'll see in the journals. It'd be like, you know, June 20th after smoking a joint. OK, now I'm just going and it just goes. Right. You know, this reminds me of a question I haven't asked in a while of songwriters. Um, but some songwriters tell me that they write amazing stuff when they're hungover. Because yeah, there's something you're... about, but and again, it's one of those two camps. Some people say, hell no, I can't write. But some people say it's the best time. There's, and I, They can't really put their finger on it, but there's something about, I don't know, the fact that that's all you can focus on and you're so much in your head. So I don't know. I haven't asked that in but a yeah, while, and you're, but you think about that. When you're hungover, you're also, you've got these feelings of like guilt about <laughs> how you behaved the night before. You've got the... Uh, sadness and self-pity and then just also just physical pain which you yeah. can describe and those always work well for, for songs right 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 um, um and and some and sometimes getting high I, for me get, smoking weed is not like a um something i do to become euphoric it's yeah. something i do to to think differently yeah just go get onto a different kind of radio signal yeah so with the um I guess with the creative part of it, I mean, some people say, again, I'm kind of like, I'm just basing off what some songwriters tell me. Some of them say you need to create every day. Others say when they force it, whether it's songs or anything, things become a derivative. So they prefer to wait for that moment. But do you, do you, do you tend to force things or do you say no, like it's just not meant to be today? I like an, I like an assignment. You know, Mm -hmm. once I started, once I started working with this, uh, with a mixer like a guy who was mixing the the songs um then he would be like come on where's the next song let's go yeah you wrote that other one and that was in three weeks where's the next one i'd be like okay i'll write another one here um so i like that and you know just this past year with getting onto a record label and having to do all these other things like make music videos do interviews get press photos it hasn't been very inspiring for me for songwriting but i know that's just like a stupid excuse i should do it i've got this (laughs) studio um but it was really like i spent this year of okay i've got i finished cooking dinner i got the children in bed now go to work from like 11 to 5 a.m and because of the pandemic i didn't have to like get take the kids to school or anything it was actually (laughs) this benefit for me right be able to really work late and for me like working at night is great because I've just I've finished all my familial duties and I can just I can just work for seven hours from you know eleven to six AM and I don't even notice that it's late until you start going a little bit crazy. Right. Overthinking things and then you're like maybe I should go to sleep. Right, right, right. So but yeah the I, the, the like Paul Simon kind of uh, idea of like every morning I wake up at six AM I drink a cup of coffee and I journal. And then a right. song comes from that. I'm like, I'm not that, I'm not that, uh, I'm disciplined, you know? Yeah. I should but, be. So rather than turn this into a, you know, did you get, did you get a lot of writing done during the pandemic question? I prefer to phrase this as, well, yeah. do you write well with large expanses of time? Because it sounds to me like you write well with like maybe right well under deadline. And, you know, I I guess I go back to this idea, the theater critic of the post Washington post, like a year ago, wrote this article about how Shakespeare wrote 
Kingler during the plague. And he can't wait till this is all over because artists are going to have so much to give us yeah. with all this time. But then I think it's, you know, from the songwriters I've talked to, it's the exact opposite. So again, you know, part of them just said, Hey, like, I can't create because I'm not leaving the house and what the hell am I going to write about? But I do find though that, so I I guess I have a a couple of questions here. One is, okay. So do you write well under emotional weight or do you feel like an emotional burden or weight or some kind of emotional heaviness is a harder place to write from? No, I think, no, all my songs are, are written from an emotional weight from okay. <laughs> some kind of, I like, I need some stress in my life so that I can write about it. You know, I'm not yeah. really like a, I'm not a flowery uh, writer. I'm not like a, I just kind of write conversationally. Yeah. So every song is like, if I, if I, I don't like to talk about it in public, but I can tell my friends like, oh yeah, no, you know, this song's about, about this person, you know them, right? Like, <laughs> oh, right. Of course. Okay. Now right. it makes sense. Right. Um, and it's just a way of getting something off my chest in kind of a, a general sort of way, you know? Yeah. And those are always, I love those. I love those kinds of songs. You know, I love finding out that, you know, sexy Sadie's about Maharishi or something, you know? Yeah. So is there a ritual, you know, I know like, for example, with me, you know, that chair behind me is a place I love to write, but I often will revise in another chair. Um, right. And I don't know that that's, that could just be superstition. But for whatever reason, like John Danielle, the mountain goats told me he wrote one of his songs at the dining room or one of his albums at the dining room table. Cause that's where the mojo was. And so yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by the rituals. Like I read all I those Paris so. review articles and yeah, go ahead. The rituals. I think, I, well, I think sometimes, yeah, if you're in your studio, it can be a little bit daunting or you can get really um, obsessed with getting the sound exactly right. You know? So I actually, you can see this piano behind me. That's a yeah. new piano, but yesterday, when I was stoned, I went up to my old piano that's upstairs. I've got two pianos and it's a really janky piano. I got it for 200 bucks, but because there's nothing around, all you can do is just play. Yeah. And maybe set up your phone and record it, you know? And, and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to write a song about coffee right now. And, and there is something nice to getting away from the professionalism of the studio environment where you just focus on writing a song. And then I played it back and I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like a Lou Reed song. I was just like talk singing, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. trying to, just trying to flow. Um, and so, yeah, I think wherever I, I then this, this past the summer I was upstate and I thought like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be re- recording in this cabin every day. I'm going to be recording, but I didn't record. I didn't do anything. I just, I was planning a lot for this music video. I did a lot of journaling um, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't inspiring for me to like sit down and, and write a song. And also, you know, it's just, I'm not in this period. Like, I really have like these periods where I'm playing live shows and, um, I'm out there in the world and trying to just communicate with people, this message. And then there's another period where you're trying to create the new message. Right. Yeah. So kind of the filling the well, that's the phrase artists always tell me, you know, they, they're, Times and they deliberately don't write, yeah, because they use those times to kind of take in the experiences, yeah, and that's just built into the kind of professional music musician lifestyle where you have this writing period, recording period, release, and tour, yeah, 
And it's amazing to me the people that are like on tour and still writing and recording. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. I can't. Yeah. You know. So you went upstairs to, uh, to for that song. I'm curious, why didn't you write that song about coffee at that piano? What made you decide to go upstairs? I think I was just up there. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I was okay. just up there and and I just sat down there. I think I was, you know, I was texting that guy about Sondheim. And then I was like, oh, no, you should just put this into a song. Right. Oh, right. That was the, yeah, the song. I have interviewed so many songwriters about to talk about how many song ideas they get while they're moving. Now I, I can give you examples. Now there's the kind of big song ideas that people get when they're on buses or trains or planes, but then I've heard people say the role of swimming, um, hiking, walking, running, biking. And then there's the people that tell me that they get, I just heard a couple, uh, gosh, interview Yola, uh, and uh, uh, last month, and she said how vacuuming, something about vacuuming. And I'm fascinated by that idea of the role of movement, especially how mundane movements tend to inspire creativity. Well, so let's talk. When I think about vacuuming, which I, I will, is there's a drone that you hear. So you get this, mm, mm-hmm. and anytime there's a little bit of a drone, even like a, like a um, amp hissing, if I hear an amp hissing and I, and yeah, maybe I'm cleaning, then maybe you hear like this little melody that goes along with it. And then you're like, oh, let's try to figure out what that melody is that goes along with this drone. Um, so that's one way. I, for me, it's more about getting like a, a sound, getting a little riff, and then I'll get some lyrical ideas a little bit later. But I do think that exercise, like I've, I've started to do sprints and I'm like, oh my God, I feel my body. I feel alive for the first time in a little while. Like I definitely think that being, sedentary and just sitting on your couch all the time and watching uh tv even though that's the majority of what i do with my life um it's not that productive in terms of getting your brain to think that you're alive and And you should be producing things right right but but do you get uh, so okay i go so many ways this and also i you know when you're there is something when you go on a hike if you go up a mountain there is after about 10 minutes there's something that switches in your brain and you start like communicating differently with your children or your wife or your friend that's up there. And you just, if there's something different than standing around drinking a beer, it's a different type of communication. Something gets released in your brain. I think there's probably some studies to talk about that. I, I feel like we're just, this is all, all these things are segues. So I've actually yeah. written about this um, in the Washington post. So oh, cool. I, um, I, I've been a runner for many years and there's actually, yes, there is the answer to your question. Yeah. And I'll send this to you actually, the article cool. yeah, is fascinating. There's a chemical called brain derived neurotrophic factor that gets secreted by the brain um, during increased blood flow, which is exercise. Yeah. So they put people, and this has been replicated in the lab. So this is not like snake oil science of, oh, you know, if you run, you'll, you'll think better. They put people on a treadmill for 20 minutes at 60% max heart rate, which is really not that much more than a moderate walk, and then administer a battery of tests to them afterwards. And those people always score higher than people that didn't exercise. So yeah. there is, there's at, so this is like when it comes to cognitive functioning, higher order thinking, but here's the cool thing. Um, 30, 30 minutes is about the ideal, but it's not dose responsive. So 60 minutes, 60 minutes isn't twice as good as 30 minutes. And 90% max heart rate isn't better than 60% max heart rate. So there's, there is research behind that. So there is actually right. 
something that does get, you know, and there's a chemical in there that does get secreted. So yeah, and and you're absolutely right. Um, so that's why people tend to get a lot of those great ideas when they're walking or biking or running or something like that. Yeah, I just, I just felt like my recall was better too. Like I was just speaking Absolutely. clearly and I was like, yeah. I don't, I'm not thinking about what is that word? I'm trying to think, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, that's what it is. Um, but then I've also heard that, that people get um, ideas for melodies or something like that because of the cadence of whatever they're doing. I've heard, you know, people say they get the, the cadence of a hike tends to give them I'd song ideas. ideas. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not, not so much for me, I would say. Yeah. You know? And I've been doing sprints. So this is, I'm doing like a, Oh my God. Go, right. Go. <laughs> right. Right. There's no thinking going on there. It's no only, thinking. It's just like, well, I can't believe I, and then when, when you do it, you're like, how do I not do this every day? I interviewed um, Stu McKenzie from King Gizzard and the lizard wizard, oh, lizard cool. wizard. And he said he got, uh, a song idea from a car alarm um, that went off. And I've heard like turn signals inspiring. Oh, turn. Uh, yes. Driving, yeah. driving. I could say with the turn signal on. Yeah. Or something, you know, clicking. It's just like, then you get the rhythm going for sure. <laughs> yeah. is that Drumming. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I just think it's fascinating because we just, I don't get many ideas. Like how many ideas have I ever gotten for anything? Just sitting, going, let me think of an idea. They yeah. they always happen when we're doing, I go back to that idea of doing something mundane yeah. um, and repetitive tends to stimulate the brain. And I, I've always thought, well, how is doing anything? Like there's got to be some part of the brain when you're vacuuming that's focusing on vacuuming. So how is, you're still taking a brain power by doing that thing. How is that better than doing nothing? Right. Um, but I guess it is. I guess it is. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, wait, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. I mean, yesterday I'm like, I was listening to this great podcast. I mean, I still do. I do like to get some external something that's a little bit smarter than me coming in, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the songs on this album are like from reading newspaper articles or something and being like, Oh, that would make a good song, you know? Yeah. And then I and I go back to to look at the newspaper article ten months later because I'm trying to find it, you know. And I'm like, oh wow, I just like stole an entire sentence from this right, news, right, right. This news article. Um, but I'm listening. I I I can't like yeah, you know these podcasts are great for for road trips or something. But then if I'm just walking around the house, I have to I'll get another idea and I'll have to pause it, write down something, take some notes. You know, you're getting so much information from these podcasts. And I can't absorb it all. I've got to like write it down. I was listening to this thing about the fall of the Mayan civilization. And he's just saying so many different things. And you have to like write down Tikal and Copan and <laughs> because I want to look them up later, you know? So, um, the, yeah. So and you mentioned earlier the journaling and the notes and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I've always been interested in the filing systems of songwriters because some people tell me like, one guy told me, listen, if and it was Brian Fallon told me, if any songwriter tells me they ever go back to those to that notes app, they're lying. Like he he never goes back to it. But then some songwriters tell me they have Excel spreadsheets of song ideas. Right. And, I, and, and Weird when, Al. Weird Al has like a Excel set. Yeah, you should listen. Oh, to he it. does. But yeah, do yeah. you have anything? Because I just you have you must have so many ideas yeah. that have to be somewhere. And how do you go back and say, like you were saying, where the hell did I find that? 
And I yeah. don't know, do you have any kind of organizational system for going back to those ideas? I have, I do take notes, you know, so I can look back at my notes for a song and be like, Oh, wow. Glad I didn't add that verse then. <laughs> right. You, know, you just have so many notes and then you kind of edit it down. But as long as you have a title in the note, then it's pretty easy to find. Oh, that's okay. Right. Um, and then in, in terms, as far as my voice memos, which is also on my phone, um, as long as you have a title, you can go back to that little idea. So that's so it. It's, it's better to have a, you just always need to have a title. It can't just be like cute melody or something. You know? Right, right, right. And even then I could go back and be like, no, I remember there's something good melody, you know? So that was a lot of how I would work with, with Yaysayer too, is like, yeah, get, get there a little early. I already have listened to some melody. And then if we were trying to make up a new song, I'd be like, how about this one? And already have something a little bit planned out. Yeah. Know? Um, but yeah, those, it's just those, those people that are well-organized, they're like mixing engineers and stuff. you have to, I, I can't get to that level, you know, you'd be surprised. It tends to be this dirt. Cause I think people want, people want artists to be just this, you know, Oh, going through rumpling papers. Where did I find that? But then uh, right. they tell me, no, I have one guy told me he has, Excel, he has an Excel spreadsheet and it's emotion they're organized by emotion and then by theme. So there's right. So, so relationships, happy relationships, sad relationships. And he goes and he looks for those things. And I thought, wow, if, you know, people, I think don't want artists, they want artists to be more of the, you know, kind of yeah. not like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, have you watched the get back uh, documentary yet? No, I have not. I know I'm watching bits and pieces of it, but yes, I have to. Um, oh my God. I mean, you I realize that like the it, it, Paul McCartney is like, come on, lads, let's focus. He's got, yeah. he's got 20 songs ready and finished. And he's like, come on, John, do you have anything? And he's like, no, nah, I'll come up with, I'll come up right. with something. And right. yeah. And I would rather listen to John Lennon screaming out random words. And it hits me harder than like, Joan was quizzical. <laughs> right, right, right. Whatever right. thing Paul McCartney has completely finished and polished with the A part, a B part, a bridge, whatever, you know. Um, so that's, I, yeah, the Beatles are like a, it's like a screaming match between the two of them and how how they should be. And it's like this great complimentary yeah. uh, art that they put out in the world. Uh, so speaking of lyrics, are you a, I'm guessing you're not a pen and paper, when it comes to the lyrics, are you a pen and paper person or just flat out computer or phone person? You know, I used to be pen and paper and I still am pen and paper. I still, when I'm journaling, it's always pen and paper. Yeah. That's the easiest thing to do. Um, but then for lyrics, it's easier to kind of cut and paste when you're actually delivering a lyric on a, on a vocal, on a, on a microphone like this, where you're going back and forth and making, it's easy to do it on the phone. And I actually learned that from Das Racist. You remember that? Yeah. Okay. I interviewed him. Okay. Uh, Hemo like when they, yeah. Yeah. This was, I mean, this was when they first, yeah. Um, it yeah. was Hemes when they first came out. Gosh. And what did he say? So what did you learn? Well, from no, him? I, I was, I produced a song of theirs. So I just had, oh. some, I had some beat lying around and I was just kind of there at the recording studio while they were recording it. And I had an idea for a hook too, which the, you know, which was just a melody and these guys are just lyric masters. So they just yeah. come up immediately with a lyric for it. And so I think I sang on it too. A little, and then, and then I'm just watching them holding, I think he had a Blackberry at the time, <laughs> you know, right. writing lyrics and looking, I was like, Oh yeah, phone. That's a good way to have your right, lyrics. Right, you right. Hold it right in front of your microphone, you know, and the paper, you're always like trying to get a piece of paper on a 
music stand or taping it to the mic stand. And it just doesn't make sense. The phone is just very compact handheld device to display lyrics. Yeah. But so, so I'm going to ask you a question about the minutia though, of the, of the pen and yeah, paper, yeah. because I do find that songwriters are, inc- I could do an entire blog dedicated to the, to the types of pens and colors of ink that songwriters like to use when it comes to writing. So uh, oh. does that matter to you? Like the type of pen? I mean, they are so brand loyal. Yeah. I like the Le Pen. <laughs> You'd see, there you go. Right. I've heard that. I've heard that before. I forgot who told me that. So the Le Pen. Uh, it yes. Just, yes. It just, uh, the ink, the ink just comes out, you know, it just flows. You just feel like you're, you know, some guy from the enlightenment, right? <laughs> does the color of ink matter or not? No. I mean, the Le Pens are pretty much uh, black. Oh, they are. I, okay. They, I think so. Yeah. And what about um, type of paper? Cause I've heard paper people say it's gotta be a legal pad. It's gotta be this color. Uh, I like it to be kind of small. You know, I'm actually kind of worried because I, I did take a lot. Oh, oh those are receipts. I say, I'm just kind of like a guy who's like, sometimes I'm organized. And then, and now I'm like, Oh, fuck, where is that thing? I took all these notes in yesterday and it's small. So I could keep it in my jacket pocket. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, although that is, I mean, the jacket pocket thing is your phone. If you have a, you know, if you have a note that you need to write down, I'm constantly writing notes, you know, I know. Uh, I'm going to throw out a couple Hemingway quotes for you. Um, Hemingway said he could never write about Paris when he was in Paris. He needed distance to be able to write about a place. And so I'm curious your take on that, whether it's places or emotions. Do do you you need distance to be able to write about something or is it better to write about it in the moment? I think it's probably better to write about it in the moment. Because for me, it's always about like having an observation and then wanting to to get it down and, and being like angry at myself for not getting it down. You know, when you're like, uh, yeah. really for me, it's the, the, the best time is when you're falling asleep. There's this, talk about that. I've heard that before. Why is that? There's this weird time when you're like, not quite asleep where like an entire idea will come to you with, you know, melody, that kind of thing. And you think you're going to, it's so clear to you what it is that you're sure that you're going to remember the idea. Of course, I'm good. Every night, of course, I'm going to remember this. And it takes that extra motivation to say, no, get the fuck, get out of bed, <laughs> go to the piano and put some chords to it. Put a little idea down. You'll thank yourself later, you know, um, or, or even just to write down a little idea for a phrase. You know? Yeah. And I, there was something I came up with last night and I just didn't <laughs> I don't think I wrote it down, but other ones I'm like, I'll look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's fine. I'll put that as a line in the song. Right, you know? right. And it, it's not as profound as it felt like when you were falling asleep. Yeah. But it's, it, it'll, it'll be fine as a little line in a verse for a song or whatever, you know, I do think also the- that I, I do think that um, when you're recording, when you're doing a lot of writing, it's a snowball effect of like the creative, you know, uh, where your your subconscious or whatever is is going will just come up with things, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas if you get out of it, then your brain's like, okay, we're not in that mode anymore. Let's uh, go back to washing the dishes. Right. Did you? There's a book I read a couple of years ago called Homeland Elegies. Um, I don't know if you read it. I forgot the guy's name, but it was on. Um, it was a great book. 
and he right and yeah, it's um I gotta I'll look it on my afterwards. I'll look it up um because I need to tell you the author's name. But it, um the author he's a Pulitzer Prize winning author, but he plays. But the the protagonist in the book is also an author, and there's always been this discussion of how much of that is actually him in real life. Anyway, the right. character, the writer in the story uses a technique where he ties a pencil to his finger at night because one of his teachers told him that, 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 you know, when you wake up and you have that great idea, it's going to be gone within five seconds. And so right. he writes, he ties a pencil to his fingers so that when he wakes up with a great idea, he doesn't have to look for a pencil. He goes right and he's got it right there. And it's yeah. even she, and I thought that was so cool. I, I, that seems like it'd be pretty dangerous. You'd probably stab yourself yes, with a pencil. Stab yourself in the eye. Right. I actually, um, yeah, I'm still recovering from a wound of over sharp pencil in my pocket. That I just, see, exactly. Right. But I thought that was really cool. Um, but now so with the, the phones, you just you pick it up and you just write. It's bright. You can see it, you know. Yeah. Have those ideas come in the middle of the night. You wake up and you go, you know, you, no, never. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ideas oh, come do. in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. In the middle of the night. Yeah. I can think of certain lines. Yeah. That I came up with in the middle of the night. And it's always like someone else telling it to you or something. Sing it. It's always like a song that's been that's finished, you know. Yeah. I did record one song that was completely finished and it was like a disco song. You know, it was like, it was, nice. arra- it was, it was, it's always like fully arranged and produced, you know? Nice. Um, I don't think it was very good, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I recorded it the next day. I, I, I think so. Yeah. Cause you get, if you record at night, it's pretty, I mean, the phone is just amazing. It's as a tool for songwriters. Cause you can, you can put a, you can just go, you know, make a little beat. Because it's all dependent on the tempo and everything, you know, because writing it down, you can't really get the tempo. Yeah. Writing it down, you'd have to be, it's such an advantage to be able to record it, right? Because writing it down, you'd be like, uh, okay, dotted. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this is this up tempo, you know, maybe... 120 BPMs or something. I don't know. So let's talk about writers that I do find that songwriters are voracious readers. And I did see that you had referenced James Joyce. I forgot. It was one of the recent interviews that you did. Um, So yeah, let's talk about who are some of your favorite authors, whether they influence your songwriting doesn't really matter to me, although I'm curious if they do, but who are, who do you like to read? Do you have specific genres that you, that you like? I mean, my, my like guilty pleasure or not guilty pleasure, but my, the, the genre that I can read the fastest is a rock memoir. Oh, totally. Yeah. Or, or a, a rock biography. So, you know, I really enjoyed the Viv Albertine close, close, close music, 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 boys, boys, boys. Yeah. Um, I've not read that one. Oh, so good. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, I like the class, you know, the, the Ray Davies one, X-Ray and, and Neil Young, Shaky and um, the kind of classic rock things. Um, I'm, I'm, I founded a sci-fi book club. Um, so I, I'm right now I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm struggling to get through Margaret Cavendish's, uh, what is it called? Visions of a new world. Call, I call it the blazing world. And it's very difficult for me to, you know, the sentences are half a page long. Hey. And I keep reading it before bed and it just is, puts me out <laughs> right away. And I'm trying to finish it like it's for school. Cause I, I already have a lot of ideas of, uh, 
of analysis of the text, you know, just from reading the biography and 15 pages of it. Um, and the, the, actually the head of the sci-fi book club, I saw him the other day and he was like, you know, you only have to read one page to come. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. But I've written, I've written, uh, there's a song on, what was it? On the Yes, Say, or Amen and Goodbye album called Divine Simulacrum, which I had written in response to Solaris, which I read for the sci-fi book club. And it's just nice that if you have like a, a book, you can just, it's like, okay, this is the prose version of this story. Now can I make a song version of it? And there's so many ways of approaching it. You know, you, you can take on a character. Yeah. You know, um, so it just makes the job of picking a theme for a song a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, Which is always my, my technique is once I have a theme, then anything goes right. So the, I, I think there's some people, I imagine like someone like Stephen Malcolmus or, or Beck, they're just like playing with words and they've got their, you know, on, on some songs, they've just got so many different rhymes and great flowery language and metaphors and similes. And they're all, they're like rappers, you know, <laughs> it's like no one spits like those guys. Right. And then, uh, and then there's songs where it's like, no, I'm going to write a song about being sad that my, my lover left me or whatever. And then you just, that's the, that's the theme. And now write the song to that theme, try to make the chorus sum up that theme. So the songs start with themes then. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, well, they probably start with a melody. They probably start with a melody, some chords, some movement, and then, okay, what's this song going to be about? All right. How about it's about, you know, this, this guy that was discharged from the hospital because his symptoms weren't severe enough of COVID and they end up dying in some hotel. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good theme. Let's go with yeah. that. Um, and then I just kind of find all these different sources to pull from this verse is going to be about Warren Buffett saving the hospital. This verse is going to be about Andrew Cuomo being kind of creepy and, you know, so you're this doing this going to be about this verse is going to be about the ice ice machine that I'm picturing in the hotel. And I'm combining it a little bit with my grandmother when she was dying, asking for ice chips because she was like so thirsty. So it's just combining a lot of different things together. You know? Yeah. So are you pulling these from different different spaces i mean you could write yeah. one verse today and the other one could be a week like are you and yes, i guess are yes. you also going back and going back to those note saps and saying ah oh, there's a verse i can there's use verse, in this yeah. song so yeah, you're not or, a very or, linear songwriter or yes no yeah yeah or or going back to that written pad and saying and underlining that one line about not caring yeah. about my case anymore yeah it's a good that, <laughs> this great scene in the get back was george harrison comes in he's like i just keep i just keep remembering you telling me <laughs> Back in the day, many years ago, that when once you get an idea for a song, just knock it off, finish it off straight away, just finish it, just get it done. And John Lennon's like, "Oh, good advice. I wish I took my own advice." <laughs> you know? It's a good invitation, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed. Um, it, well, so I interviewed Daniel Lanois about six uh, months ago. Love Daniel Lanois, and he said all of his songs are on speaking of paper, eleven by twenty-two art paper. And there's circles, there's thought bubbles, there's lines, there's arrows, there's no linear. Yeah. It, it, it's it's not linear in the at all. Stuff is all no. over the place. Um, and that reminds me of a little bit of what you're talking about. I mean, maybe not to that extent, but he says, yeah, there's nothing linear. There's numbers. There's just stuff all over the place. But he takes an 11 by 22 piece of paper, and that's where the songs happen. That's a big piece of paper. It is a big piece of that's paper. Big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very big. Right. Seems, I know. It seems a little unwieldy. Um, 
Yeah, Neil Young talks about writing on um, newspaper. Yeah, because then the then the words kind of they don't stick out as much. They kind of are just embedded within the noise, which is how songs are. There's they're not just words being spoken in silence. They're words that are being sung with melody and with usually with instrumentation behind it. Yeah. Um, um, but no, see, I don't do that. For me, it's more, oh, try out something, try out a line, record it, listen to it back. If it makes me squirm, if I think it's so unbearable, then I'll change it, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and so much of it, it depends on how it's recorded, you know? Right. How, how the line is delivered, you know? What makes it unbearable? I'm curious. What's the litmus test for being unbearable? Um, I don't know. You just hear it and think, "Oh, that's cheesy." Ah, yeah, that's a litmus test. A cheesy litmus test, and it's it's totally subjective. You know, I mean, something that I think is is moving and earnest and genuine, someone else might turn off in two seconds because they don't like the sound of the guitar. You know, right? Um, so back to I, 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 I also go to other people i check things in with my wife you know i'll be like what do you think of this and she'll be like i think you could do a little better <laughs> and i'm like fuck you but thank you thank you <laughs> right 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 so back to the reading so you're a sci-fi fan i mean because i or i guess is there is that a genre that you tend to go back to a lot no not not particularly i think um my favorite genre would probably be like a satire or you know like a, it's he's like so well whatever i mean i love kurt vonnegut you know i think about like i think about slaughterhouse five like on a daily basis just gonna mention that um yeah. the first time i read at read it it's funny um there was a point i forgot and i forgot what part of the book but there was a part in the book when i finally realized oh it's okay to laugh Um, right. Because there, it was so the first time I read it, I thought this is so strange and it's about such a tragic event. And I forgot what the line was, but I thought, okay, I almost had to go back to the internet and say, is this, am I allowed to laugh at this? Is this supposed to be humorous? But, but yeah, he's a master. And I I'll tell you, I mean, the songwriters, I, I, they'll have the most common, authors are Vonnegut. Yeah. Um, Cormac McCarthy comes up a lot. Um, uh, Bukowski, Raymond Carver tends to be the people that favor the, um, you know, the economy of language. Right. Um, I also like how, um, the absurdism of Vonnegut, right. He's just pointing out human foibles and he's not afraid to just be like, and then she drank Drano. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Or, or, Or also, I just remember as a teenager reading it, I could just picture being on the couch at my parents' house and just reading it and be like, oh my God, there's a drawing of an anus here. This is hilarious. Right, right. (laughs) But it's so weird that that's what I'm saying is I didn't realize I could laugh at those things. It was so... And then, and then once you, once I realized that it just made the whole book a different experience. Okay. It's okay to laugh. This is supposed to be funny, but it could also be tragic at the same time. Right. Um, I, I watched some like interviews with him on Charlie Rose as an older Man, he's so honest about being like, of course I'm not as smart as I used to be. I'm 90 years old, <laughs> whatever. And I felt like he was, I was like, oh, this guy is like a, cause I had a bit of a contentious relationship with my own grandfather. who's just a little bit of a, you know, that greatest generation, you know, why are you waving your hands like that? What are you Italian or something? <laughs> you know, 
Um, and then I was like, oh no, Kurt Vonnegut, he's sort of like a surrogate grandfather figure for me, you know? There's some old syllabus of his, I, I'm sure you've seen it. Every soft that shows up on Twitter, someone has saved one of his, a syllabus of his when he was a, when he was a professor and the things that he does, ne- he never wants to see in his students writing. One of them, like he's I th- pretty sure he says, don't ever use a semicolon. That was like one <laughs> yeah, of the big yeah. rules. Um, but uh, yeah. So do you tend to go back to the classics a lot to read the classics? Oh, you know, the last great <laughs> piece of literature that I wrote, read was Crossing to Safety. Have you read that? No. Wallace Stegner. Oh, no, I've not. I've read some of his stuff, but I haven't read that. So did you like it? I really loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was actually recommended to me by a camp counselor when I was 14. And it's and, taken you this long. And it took, I have, I had a note on my, that I like pinned up on my, my wall. That was like a note from him. Like you should try. It was like, you know, dear Anand, you should try working out. You'll get a little bit bigger because <laughs> it was the summer camp was all about lifting canoes and <laughs> <laughs> hiking. And, um, and it's like recommendations of things to read crossing to safety while I was And I'm glad I waited till I was, you know, 38, 39 to read it because it's, it's really about, a, it spans time of like a guy yeah. meeting his wife and then becoming a professor in Wisconsin and then getting old and then friends dying and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I've got a ton of that. That's a really good, I highly recommend that book. It's kind of, and it's about like a couple and their f- social life basically, which is off to check that out. Yeah. I think um, it's semi, semi autobiographical. Yeah. I mean, I always try to, I also like to read history books. I'm pretty obsessed with, uh, there's this book by Colin Woodard called American nations, hmm. um, which is kind of just about the 13 uh, nations that, that kind of founded America during the colonization period from like, you know, new France, new Spain, Yankeedom, the deep South tidewater, um, you know, and it's been an interesting way for, that's a way that I think about um, a lot of political events that are going on. I haven't really quite put it into a song yet. Uh, maybe talking about puritanism i have a line about hmm. i have a line in the latest song about uh she never was so puritanical which is a funny which was <laughs> which i always wanted to put something about puritanism in a, in a song and that was actually from you know, just these things just kind of come back i remember telling my mom's best friend in india that i had taken acid for the first time and she had just done ayahuasca for the first time and it was great to talk to her because she was talking about, uh, you know, I I did ayahuasca and I, was, I threw up. And she was, she was like, you know, I'll take acid any day over ayahuasca. And I was like, it's so funny talking to you about drugs because my mom is just a little bit, she's so uptight. And she said to me, she said, yeah, when did Ronnie become so puritanical? <laughs> and it was this great moment in my life where I realized, like, oh, my mom has this she was in india she was this rebel rebelling against the indian thing you know smoking weed doing all those things and then as soon as she got to america just kind of she kept her independent spirit but got a little bit absorbed into this secular pure puritan puritanical thing where it's like well you don't do drugs because they're illegal you know that right whereas her but it's all still it's still cool that she's like still best friends with this woman who's like leading these (laughs) acid ceremonies in germany well i'm 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 just i'm seeing it so much now um with my kid being in fourth grade 
and you realize that we're really entering this kind of uh this it's a this manichaean uh view is really accepted now of it's all good and evil racist right. anti-racist vac- vaccinated it anti-vaccinated and like the goody two-shoes in my kid's class would be like uma are your parents even vaccinated and i'm like and she's like yes they are stop i just haven't gotten mine yet you know? <laughs> um, and you see and you're like this is strange so I, I i think if i have anything unique to to give out to the world as a songwriter is i'm trying to explore that middle ground right you know which isn't necessarily the most effective for songwriting because the most uh provocative things are just clear statements of good and evil, you know? And that's it for the latest episode of songwriters on process. Don't forget. You can find all of my interviews with over 200 songwriters on my songwriters on process website at songwritersonprocess.com, going all the way back to 2010. You can read them, watch them or listen to them. So until next time, thanks for listening.